Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Stella Turhart, a well-known composer, educator, and adjudicator, and now is semi-retired from her many musical endeavors, but has turned her creative energies into writing. Her first book, Discovering Twins, No Secret is Safe Forever, is the reason we connect this morning to learn about history, to learn about family. Stella Derhart, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning, Kate. I appreciate this opportunity very much, so thank you as well. So we're in this world of uh, of gratefulness. You know, we're we're just grateful to be having this opportunity to connect and and have a a good conversation. Um, albeit it might be a challenging conversation at some point, but still a, a good and important necessary one as uh, we talk about one of your new talents, and that is in writing. You've written Discovering Twins, and here in Discovering Twins, uh, you, you have a biography, a memoir. It, it is a uh, nonfiction in that sense, but I also noted that it, there is some mention of fiction. So uh, why would that actually enter into it, Stella? It's very interesting that you that you mentioned that and that you've noticed that. So discovering twins was a journey of mine after my mother passed away. So the, the book opens with my mother saying when I was pregnant with my first child that twins ran in the family. Never heard that before. Didn't know any. Didn't have a clue. So the part of the, the book that is memoir are my memories. The part that is biography is about my mother. The part that is fiction are the stories that I wove around what I discovered about my mother's European family in World War II in Holland. So I never met these people. All I knew were genealogical dates. And then reviewing those dates, researching those dates brought me to horrendous discoveries about their life and what happened to them in World War II. So I, I weaved fictionalized stories around what I imagined their lives would have been based on the nonfiction facts, which I discovered into new. And of course, the nonfiction are really the harsh, stark realities of what went on during the years of World War II and the occupation of Holland. Yes, yes. And I knew, well, I didn't know, I discovered quite by accident on a trip to the Netherlands with my mother after high school that her entire family was Jewish. She'd never mentioned that. It was a dark secret that she hid and uh, I just, I became aware of it when I was there visiting relatives that I didn't know existed. Uh, so, of course, what happened to them in World War II was a huge, horrific loss through the Holocaust in Holland, in Germany, in Poland. And, you know, we can read some of this in history books. I, I feel with a book such as yours, uh, and there are others, that by reading your entry into this world really makes a world of difference. I think makes it so much more real and, and concrete and, and, and still so horrific. But it's important for us, I think, to hear the story in um, at least, uh, well, it feels like a first-person narrative because you are so close to this family. You know, Kate, you're absolutely right. I've read books about those times, and 
they can be a little bit dry, even though the, the events are, are, are so alarming. Sometimes mm-hmm. the recounting of them is a little bit statistical. And I chose instead to use a story approach. So if I tell you a story about something that's happened, you are going to relate to that story as opposed to me just giving you a bunch of facts and dates and, and textbook type uh, um, ideas. So that's why I chose to write historical fiction, if you like, mm. and using stories. So it brings these family members of mine back to life in a relatable way uh, so that people can, can see who they were, what happened to them, and how that affects us even today. And it does affect for sure, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. I'm now, so this all happened to my grandmother and her immediate family members, her brothers, her sisters, their, you know, her nieces and nephews. My great-grandfather at the age of 79 um, followed his sons to Auschwitz because he couldn't live without them. He volunteered as a worker. People thought they were going to work camps. People had no idea. And of course, he was lost. Uh, children, mothers with children, it's its just, you, you see these dates, and when you realize what's behind the dates, you just go, I, I knew that this happened in history, but but then when you, you bring it to a more personal level, then it, it, it resonates more deeply. So for you, this was, I have to believe, a an incredible discovery, uh, which really began to open up more, or somewhat, when you made a trip to Holland right after high school graduation with your mother. Yes, that's that's true, Kate. And one of the threads that I weave throughout the book is the fact that my mother as a young child was burdened with secrets, and she struggled her whole life with telling the truth and with, with being forthcoming with things that she knew. Because when she was 12, when the war started, her father was an Italian, Giovanni Antonio Vitali, and he married my grandmother, Elizabeth Hyman, who was Jewish. Her family had been Jewish in Holland for 400 years, but she married this handsome Italian, you know. So, therefore, my mother and her siblings uh, uh, were somewhat protected because of their Italian father. But he was a very important figure in Amsterdam. He owned a construction company. And and in the book, I talk about how he was integral in in Jews fleeing the country and his role in that. So my mother knew these, these burdensome secrets that were literally life and death. And she carried them throughout her life uh, and, and just really struggled with telling the, telling the truth as an adult and as a young child. I just knew that my mother was always secretive, that she had a hard time telling what was what, and she sort of buried things. And we always lived in houses with little secret closets and little hidden rooms. And only much later in life do you realize the mental impact of her teenage years growing up in war-torn Holland, how that affected her throughout her life. Understandably, I... I, I think, too, as I grow older, that I really begin to think more deeply about what it had to have been like and how it impacted a person, what their later life was like. And then when you think of yourself and 
your mother having experienced that and and how she had to keep these secrets and what do you say what can't you say could you feel that actually becoming part of you that's a very interesting question kate um i saw because i saw in my mother this 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 um i, I don't know what if you want to call it a flaw or uh, a burden i'm not sure mm. there was a stark contrast between i I didn't think she should be that way, but I didn't know why she was that way. So I am I am the opposite of secretive. <laughs> <laughs> I I am I am woefully transparent. But uh, you know, when I was an adult and my mother shared some of her secrets with me, she would say to me, "You don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anyone." And now my mother's gone, and here I am telling everyone. And I, I don't know how she would feel about that. But the story is no longer hers to hide. It's now now my story and I'm choosing to tell it and take whatever risks is, in, is involved with that. I don't know if that answered your question. but uh, no, I, Well, yeah, I mean, and you know, we all experience things differently and, and how that gift comes to us and, and who you are and what you are doing is definitely... It, beautiful and perfect and and we're fortunate that you are telling the story because uh I th- you wouldn't be telling it if you didn't think that there was importance here and that someone would find value and and hopefully you know it'll be the beginning of of good change in the world absolutely right now in our world uh, throughout our world we are all looking at stories of racism and cruelty and genocide still exists in our society and and if we don't if those of us who have who have been subjected to those things if we don't share them and teach them to the next generation then we're losing hope because the only way that we can solve those issues in our world is through education of hopefully the existing generation but also the youngest generations that are coming up that have no clue what's going on in the world and how we present history and the present to them will shape their future. And considering how World War II was so horrific and and so long-lasting and, and, and just destroyed so much, and now we're getting that much further away that it needs to be remembered and discussed because we already... You know, it's already gone on for much time that there are the naysayers about the Holocaust who don't believe that it happened. They don't believe that it could have happened on the scale that it happened. I mean, how can you eliminate six million people over the course of three years? People, how, how do you do that? You know, so people just don't believe it because of the magnitude. Uh, and yet there's so much evidence, of course, that, that it, it's absolutely an event in history that we have that we all have to learn from and that we all have to reiterate. And, and one of the one of the things that can happen, though, Kate, is, you know, like, you know, when you watch a really violent movie and after you've watched it 10 times, you don't even notice the violence anymore. Mm. When a historical event like the Holocaust or other similar genocides that have occurred in history, if you hear them over and over again, after a while, you just don't even register and you no longer see the true impact of what happened and in, in, in how people lived through that. So in my book, what I really tried to do was bring it to not just this 6 million huge uh, a number of people level, but right down to here's a picture of a two-year-old girl 
And she and her mother and her sisters and her grandmother and her grandfather all were killed on the same day. That has a different resonance than saying six million people died over three years. So I try to go from the statistical generalization that maybe people are getting a little immune to and go, this is a personal basis of one family, one individual, one slice of time. And I was appreciating the the way that you structured the book. I didn't really think of it in those terms of, you know, looking at what those statistics were and then bringing it to to this personal story. But it, it just reads so well. I think that's what we need to 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 make it real and, and be able to to really take it in and and comprehend it. Yes, absolutely. And the best way to do that is to create a relatable story around believable people and based on true events and true stories and true people, which is what my book is is woven around. There are some bright lights in the book. It's not all just, you know, World War II tragedy. Uh, There are flashes of humor. Uh, When I speak about my childhood and my life and and growing up, there's, there's some very relatable young people uh, true stories. I know because people who have read the book have, have written to me and said, oh, I really relate to that, or this was really funny, and I remember that particular toy from my childhood. So, you know, weaving it, weaving things, trying to control the emotion so that it's, that there's still hope, that there's still light, I feel is very important. Because life is generally like that. Yes, there are those really dark times, as it was during World War II. And yet I think there were ways people did try to to bring some kind of light into their life, as challenging as that had to be. Uh, but yes, I think that, that this book is really am- so amazing and such uh, a, an important and great story. So let's uh, mention to people how they can get it. Mention your website. It's, that is one source, certainly, to become aware of that. So the book is available on pretty much every online platform that there is. It's Amazon, of course, both Canada, United States, and worldwide. Barnes & Noble, if you are a Kindle, an ebook fan, then it's available on Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, as well as ebook formats on the major online retailers as, as well. And it's not available in stores presently. That only happens if there's enough interest that's generated and then stores will carry it. But certainly it can be ordered online and received within a few days from major online retailers. My personal website is stellaterhart.com. It focuses mostly on on music, which I'm a professional musician. My delving into authorship has only come lately as I've had time to be able to, to do that. But yes, StellaTerhart.com. I'm also found on Facebook, so not too hard to find. And definitely worth the venturing forth and, and locating what you have done, and and especially to get a copy of the book. And I'm a big fan of local bookstores, so I recommend going to your bookstore, asking them. They can order the book and uh, become more aware and thus share it with more of the world, because uh, it, it, for all the reasons we've mentioned already, it's a, 
it is an important read and will educate us more deeply. You know, I think really grab at our heart and help us to um, just grow to be better human beings. And Kate, there's so many things that I myself personally discovered. I mean, I thought I knew quite a bit, but I I didn't know. I had no clue about the depths of some of the, of some of the results of how these people were treated, and the aftermath of uh, what happened to these people afterwards. One of the things that I do in the book as well for those who 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 are feeling like maybe it's a little too nonfictiony, a little too memoiry is there's interesting characters, and these are real people, these are real relatives of mine. Uh, The story opens, uh, one of the first chapters is about um, an aunt from the great-great-great-great-aunt. I I think her dates are back in the 1800s. She had triplets over four days, you know, so just imagine that, just just imagine that. So I write a whole story about what her life would have been like at that time in history, it was 1842, actually, because one of the comments she makes is she has all of these children. She herself was an only child, and the world is changing around her, and she goes, the world will be amazing 100 years from now. And jump forward 100 years, and it's 1942, and the world is less than amazing. Mm-hmm. So for those who like a, a, a good story, I have these interesting family characters, and they're all related to each other. And every single one is is a twin. Every single one is connected. Now, if we talk about the title, Discovering Twins, it stems from my mother's remark, how twins ran in the family, which she never said before and never said again, to when I was researching my genealogy after my mother passed away, I found these sets of twins. And I found many, many, and the triplets, Many sets of twins, double the statistic of the number of twins born in Holland. So there is some kind of family genetic. And then near the end of the story, talks about me meeting my second cousin who, as a baby, escaped. He was given away by his parents into the hands of the Dutch underground. And I tell his story. And I meet him in Toronto. As we're having lunch in downtown Toronto, he shows me pictures of his family. And he was telling me why he was, and they live in New York. And he was telling me casually why he traveled from Switzerland to New York to visit his son, who just had a set of twins. Mm-hmm. And I about fell off my chair because <laughs> he had no idea there was twins in the family, but I knew. And so here, after some 70 years of no twins in the family because the family was annihilated, this one child who lived, his son has twins, and that's the thread that weaves throughout the book. Isn't that beautiful? There's just something that's very ethereal, but real about that happening on. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, it's a victory statement. And I know that this is a common thread in Holocaust stories is not everyone was lost. Not everything was lost. And if you have the slightest thing still left, you can rebuild. So there's victory and there's rebuilding that has occurred since the end of World War II. The human spirit. Yes. And you you say that you never, you didn't have twins, you didn't give birth to twins, but have your children had twins? No. No. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. But they all know there's twins in the family. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they wait with trepidation. That's right. Oh, yes, yes. 
Yeah. I always thought twins would be fantastic. Get it over with, you know. <laughs> Great. And my mother was a twin. So I Oh I, my goodness. I, Yes, it's so interesting. She was waiting for for her, her kids, which wouldn't wasn't me, but uh, for my brother and his wife. But no, no twins carried on. So. <laughs> there, there will be, and there will be, and you will be able to say there are twins in the family, and that your mother was a twin. It's just a remarkable, remarkable thing. But in in your family, it was really stunning. Well, you said double the statistics that would normally happen. And and there is the story in the book of, of lining them up at a party where all the pairs would be there in the photo. Uh, it seemed to be an annual tradition. And in the, these twins, as I discovered, lived minutes away from my mother. So and they were her age. Many of them were her age. Or she babysat them. Or they were a little bit older than her, and she idolized them. Um, and I, I only know this by knowing her address in Amsterdam, knowing the addresses of all the family members that were lost in the Holocaust, including the twins, and going, they all lived within one to ten minutes of each other. So they would have all walked to each other's houses, parties, and I have a picture. I have two pictures that I found in my mother's things. The people are unidentified, but it's her, and she's young, like maybe 10, surrounded by all of these other other people, young people, some adults, and it's an event of some kind. It's a party, or it's a birthday, or, or it's an event. And so that that is what gave me the idea to to have everybody getting together, including these sets of twins, on multiple occasions for multiple types of family events. And... In the writing of your book and as it's been published, what about your children? How have they felt about the book and about finding out about this history of their family? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I am woefully transparent. So even though my mother admonished me with great conviction to never tell anyone, I've always been open with my children. They've always known from when they were they were little and, well, at an age where they could understand what's happened in our family background. And my eldest son just had his firstborn child three weeks ago, and he named it after the youngest sister of my grandmother, who died in the Holocaust, whose wedding ring my son's wife wears. So uh, the connection and the response of my children is is very akin to my own, where they're not as vocal about it as I am, but they feel it very deeply inwardly. That is beautiful. It just, yes, it keeps, I believe, in our thinking and talking about these family members and, and having them these heirlooms that were passed on, that were that were saved and and then uh, given to are given to family members is just so honoring. Yes, it is. I mean, I had no idea that my son was going to name his little daughter Leah after my aunt Leah. And um, when I told my sister, who's also called Leah, she just burst into tears. She just burst into tears because it's just so impactful for us. Mm-hmm. And I wondered about your father because. He uh, he just really wasn't aware of all this history either because of, of the way that your mother felt she needed to hide this. Yeah, I mean, my dad knew his tiniest little bit. But what started all of this, interesting that you mentioned my dad, who's now 94, 
what started all of this historical digging was he came to live with us in the summertime for a number of weeks. And on the Internet, I said, hey, let's see what we can find out about Holland, you know, trying to entertain a 94-year-old. <laughs> he was 89 at the time. And I found the he was a sailor, so I found the ships that he served on. I could find aerial photographs of the house that he lived in in Amsterdam that was bombed in the war. I could find all of these pictures. And, and I asked him, just out of the blue, what happened to his grandparents? And he goes, well, my father was also a sailor, and he was sailing in the Dutch East Indies for a year on merchant ships, moving cargo back and forth. He came back, and his parents were both dead, both dead, died within 10 days of each other. And I said to my dad, how? What happened? And my dad said, I don't know. And he'd never, he, he never asked. It was never told to him. He'd never thought about it. So I became determined to find out. And it was actually wanting to find out about my paternal grandparents, great-grandparents, what happened to them. I started tripping over all of these relatives on my mother's side and realizing what happened to them. Oh. And by the way, I figured out that my great-grandparents died in a malaria epidemic that was surging through Europe, including the Netherlands, in 1925, 1926, thereabouts. I have to go back and look at my book to get the exact date yeah. because they died within 10 days of each other and they were in their early 60s. So what was happening in Europe at that time? What was going on? There was a malaria epidemic. So chances are, I mean, I don't know for sure, yes. but the chances are very high that that's what first the, my, grand, my great-great-grandfather went and then the caregiver, of course, his wife, 10 days later. Oh, so much tragedy. So much tragedy, but yet here we are today, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if there was the worst tragedy would be not telling of these things, the not passing them on, the not sharing. To me, that's a bigger tragedy. I understand keeping secrets, but some secrets have to be told. And I think that's what you say with the book, too, discovering twins, but it is no secret is safe forever. That's right. Right. (laughs) And we are so fortunate, you know, we are blessed, really, that you have wanted to unravel the secrets and come up with this history. Because again, as we said earlier, it's so important for us to remember what went on and honor those whose lives were taken and to work towards making this a better world. Absolutely, Kate. And many, every family has their stories. Every individual has their secrets. And many people share the same stories and the same type of secrets, but they don't they don't have the means or the ability or the desire to share or write about those secrets. So even with my book, I only originally started as an attempt to record these family events so that I wouldn't forget them. And then I thought, how am I going to make this relatable to anyone else, my children, my grandchildren? That's when I decided to weave them all into relatable stories. And as you say that, all of a sudden, this puzzle piece clicked into place, thinking about how, as a musician, and you mentioned how you are a professional musician, you you 
excel at composing and have, uh, well, let's let me see if I can articulate this part about your being the only Canadian who has all four certifications from the uh, Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto. Correct. Right. Okay, I got that right. So here, though, then thinking of musical composition, you've done the composition in terms of your writing now. Yes, yes. I look, I look, I see it very much in the same in the same light. Mm-hmm. Yes, that just clicked for me, and it's it's beautiful. Uh, and and the way that you tell the story, uh, I'll use the word lyrical. It does does feel that way. The heart, the harshness of it is there, but somehow just the way that you you take the stories and want to you tell the harshness and bring in some some of that light on it, so uh, that we we don't get burdened by it and not want to continue reading. Exactly. I mean, that's really important. I, I feel that I feel that our lives are always full of every experience and every emotion from throughout the whole spectrum. So. To focus simply on one thing is to deny the validity of the others. Mm-hmm. So I did work hard on making sure to imbue the stories with not just all of the horrific things, but the, the, the bright things as well. And I feel you've done it amazingly. So let's Thank mention you. your website once again, Stella. StellaTerhart.com, T-E-R-H-A-R-T, a good Dutch name, Stella Terhart. And be sure to look for the book, Discovering Twins. So, Stella, this has been such a wonderful time to uh, hear the story and and talk about life and meaning. And I am so grateful that you really decided to make this a book for all of us to appreciate. Thank you so much for saying that, Kate. I really appreciate that. Very kind of you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Stella Terhart and Sunday Morning Magazine with Sherman Haggerty. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of honest sharing about family and about community. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.